You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Many of us have been watching the election results all this week, and I know that there's a lot of range of emotions regarding this. I have my own opinions. Our nation is divided presently, and so we need to come together as a nation and pray that the Lord would do a great movement in our country. But listen, focus with me just a minute. There's lost people dying and going to hell, and I want us to do evangelism. There is immature Christians that need to be discipled in the name of Jesus Christ. There is sleepy Christians. Now, there'll be sleepy Christians as I'm preaching, but I'm talking about (laughs) spiritually sleepy Christians who need to be revived and awakened in the name of Jesus. So let's put our focus where our focus needs to be. And let me just share We're going to be in Ephesians, but the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk. Are you hearing me? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's what it says in verse 29. But only, this is the only talk that we should have. That is good for building up that it may give grace to those who hear. Hey, church family, let's get together and let's build one another up. Let's build this nation up. Let's speak truth and grace. And let's keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, today I want to speak to you about this. Satan's top four lies to thwart you from your life's purpose. Satan's top four lies to thwart you from your life's purpose. You know what your purpose in life is? The number one purpose you have in life is to gather around the throne of Jesus at the end of days. That's your purpose in life. Now, until then... Your purpose is to gather as many people so that they will gather with you on that day. We are called as believers in Jesus Christ to spread the message that Jesus reigns and that we joyfully submit to him. He's not up in the polls. He's not down in the polls. He doesn't care where he is in the polls. And so our purpose in life At the end of days, my days and your days, is to gather around the throne. And until then, we're to spread the good news that Jesus Christ is reigning and he is supreme and he died on the cross for our sins. And so the Bible says this, Jesus himself said, listen carefully, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then the Bible says quite clearly that we are commanded to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. This is your life's purpose. This is my life's purpose. Until I get to the throne, I'm to be about my purpose. Now, I want you to see something carefully here. Now, our Bibles are, keep them open to Ephesians 6, but I want to share with you what I learned. I didn't know this in Scripture. Over in Revelation chapter 20, it's almost the last chapter in your Bible. I had not seen this before. There's a day coming, the Bible says, that Jesus himself will pick up Satan, and he will throw him in a pit. I look forward to that day. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a picture of that. Instagram it, Facebook it, whatever you do. The Bible says that Jesus on that day is going to shut Satan up. He's going to seal Satan up, and he's going to throw him down. And then it says in verse 3 of Revelation 20, it says this, so that Satan, so that he may not deceive the nations any longer. Now, I had not seen that before. My focus had been on the front end of that, and I'd never seen that until that day when he shut up, sealed up, and thrown down, 
Satan is busy deceiving the nations. That's what he's doing. And so over the next few moments, I want to share with you some of his favorite lies, some of his favorite deceptive tactics. Because make it, make it known, and there's no doubt about this, this is crystal clear. Satan's number one goal is to keep lost people lost. And he does so by denying them access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here on our eighth annual missions week, this is the eighth time we've done this. And oh, I want this to be in our DNA. I want this to be celebrated and done in the life of our church in some form or fashion long after I'm gone from these days. And so this is the tip of the spear. This is the edge of the knife for spiritual warfare, missions and evangelism. This is where it comes down to. This is hand-to-hand combat. When we talk about spiritual warfare, launch with the beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, Move your eyes to verse 18, which is our focus this morning. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you see the four alls? Four times all appears in 18. And then in 19, and also for me that, Paul says, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May God bless the reading of his word. This is the classic passage on spiritual warfare. And the Bible says that invisible to my eyes and your eyes, but very real is the mother of all battles. It's fought by angels, it's fought by demons, it's fought by prayer and spiritual preparation. This is, again, the mother of all battles, bigger than World War II, World War I, Afghanistan, Iraq, Vietnam. Put them all together. This is the mother of all battles. And what I want you to see is that he's in chains. Did you notice that? Paul writes Ephesians while in chains. He's there not because he committed a felony. He's there because he was speaking the gospel. And then he asked for this prayer. Now, verse 19 is not really our focus this morning, but he asked for this. And I see a triangle here, and I want you to see the triangle. Maybe you want to write the triangle in your notes. There's a triangle here of spiritual warfare, evangelism of the missions, and me. He says, pray for me that I may open my mouth and be bold. Now, friend, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he's bold. If he's at your Thanksgiving dinner, he's going to say something, and we're all going to say, awkward, together. All right? That was awkward. So I'd say to Tracy later, did you hear what Paul said? That was really awkward. So if he needs boldness, what do I need? (laughs) What do you need? And so there's a triangle there of spiritual warfare, missions, and me. So today, what I want us to do in looking at the four, top four lies that Satan is using to thwart you from your purpose and my purpose is this. I want us to pick up the weapon that really isn't a weapon. Did you notice? 
In verse 18, he speaks of prayer, but it's not a weapon. But it is a weapon. And like believers have done throughout the ages, as you put on the belt of truth, he says that around verse 13 or 14, put it on with prayers. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, put it on with prayers. You take up the shield of faith, you put it on with prayer. Four lies that Satan loves to tell to keep you from your life's purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus. Lie number one. Lie number one, he closes the nations to the gospel access. Satan, his number one tactic is to close nations to gospel access. Did you know that? Satan convinces government leaders and cultural influencers that government borders should be put up and there'd be no Bibles, there'd be no Christian radio, there'd be no evangelistic witness. The organization opened doors almost every year, the last couple decades, I believe, have put together a list of the top 50 nations, top 50 nations where it's the hardest to be a Christian. Many of the nations, you would, you would choose them, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Libya, Afghanistan, India, Sudan. Now, what am I to do about that? I don't work in the embassy. I don't work in the White House. Well, look at verse 18. It's the first of four alls in verse 18. I am to pray at all times. I'm to pray at all times. Now, some of you, you treat prayer like the national anthem before a football game. You, you pray, but it has nothing to do with the rest of the game, right? It has nothing to do with the rest of your day. You take prayer, some of you do, like a parachute. It's here in case I need it, but unless I need it, I'm not going to mess with it. But the Bible calls upon us to do something altogether different with prayer. The Bible says that every, literally, verse 18, at every opportunity, I'm to pray. At every opportunity, I'm to pray. In fact, the Bible says all over your New Testament, I'm to be constant in prayer. I'm to pray literally day and night. I am to pray without ceasing. So it is to be a constant habit to pray. And a pastor, come on. That's unrealistic. That's the life of a monk. That's the life of a priest or a preacher. Come on, pastor, get real. We can't all just sit around and pray. Somebody's got to make a living. Somebody's got to get after it. Well, I'm going to leave the how to you because I think you can figure out the how if I show you the why. Why would I be constantly in prayer? Why is, why is a mechanical prayer, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray, to soul, pray the Lord is my soul to keep, why is that not just sufficient? Here's why. Because of Satan's tactic. We have to pray constantly because he closes nations to the gospel. His, among his choice and best weapon is to convince governments to close the door so that evangelism and missions will not happen. And so Christian believers have to meet in secret behind the iron doors. A generation ago was behind the iron doors of communist Soviet Union, but today it's behind the doors of the Chinese illegal Christians in that nation, or North Korea or Iran. They're forced to have secret church in order to have worship. This is spiritual warfare. Today, around 25% of the world's population have never had a meaningful presentation of the good news made to them. Think of that for just a moment. Let, the, let that shock and awe sit on you. At seven years of age at First Baptist Church of Scottsboro, Alabama, your pastor came to know Jesus Christ. I had heard the gospel dozens and dozens and dozens of times. 
one-fourth of the world's population couldn't spot Jesus in a lineup. Don't know enough about Jesus to complete a sentence. I'm reminded of the nation of Iran. Of course, in the 1970s, that government radically changed and Christian radio was banned and Bibles were banned. But as soon as they closed the nation, they always shut down evangelism. It is the tip of the spear. It is the edge of the knife of warfare. As soon as they closed the nation's borders to the gospel and to Christians, a surge in interest in Jesus happened. Did you know that? I got a friend that worked across the borders. He tells me on first hand, he said, do you remember that little movie that Mel Gibson put together about Jesus? Well, somehow that movie got labeled anti-Semitic. And what do you think the people of Iran wanted to do with an anti-Semitic movie? They shut down every other movie in the house to show that movie of Jesus Christ. And there is widespread reports of widespread numbers of believers who bowed the knee of Jesus in secret behind the Persian iron doors of Iran. What am I to do about that, Pastor? That's interesting to know. Well, let me ask this. Any rebels in the room? Anybody rebellious by nature? Look at moms and dads pointing to their children right now. I've never seen so many teenagers pointed out in one place. Calling all rebels. You know what prayer is? Prayer is rebellion. It is calling God's attention to something that we call the status quo that is not his status quo. It is calling God's attention to something that we consider normal that is not God's normal. Let me be clear, no nation should ever be closed to the gospel. Let's convert the nations to religious capitalism. You know what capitalism is? Let the best business win. Let the best religion win. Turn them loose. Why would we not turn Christianity loose? Because we're fearful of the truth, that's why. And that's why Satan whispers in government leaders. And that's why the Quran says evangelism and proselytizing in the name of Jesus Christ is illegal. And let's get on our knees together to pray that closed nations would be open to the truth of the gospel because prayer is rebellion. It is the absolute refusal to accept what is not God's normal. Because when you and I pray, we're engaged in warfare. We're engaged in something where we reject every, reject every agenda, every scheme, and every opinion that clashes with God's established normal. We are to pray that this day would be like a day in heaven is what Jesus taught us to pray. And so we're to pray against totalitarian governments like North Korea that keep their country closed from the gospel. We need constant prayer. That's why we need to pray constantly. We need continual prayer. That's why we need to pray day and night. We need to pray throughout the day. We're to pray at every opportunity and upon every occasion. Satan loves to close nations of the gospel. Secondly, he keeps you from your purpose by persecuting believers. Satan loves to intimidate and throw physical violence on believers. Abdullah had come to faith in Jesus Christ in an unnamed nation in South Asia. He had been a Muslim, was not content with the Quran and what he was being taught. Not only did he become a follower of Jesus Christ, and specifically, listen carefully, he understood that Jesus was more than a prophet, he was the crucified Messiah. And so once he understood that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, Abdullah went on a tear. He was in the zones, what we'd say in the sports world. 
he was effective in sharing the good news of Jesus with other Muslims. He began to create and began to plant secret churches. And with his success, Abdullah got the ruling authorities' attention. In fact, one zealous believer in this nation was interrogated and his fingers were cut off in an attempt for him to name other evangelists. They were unsuccessful. Abdullah shortly thereafter would answer the door. When he answered the knock on the door, he was stabbed to death. Shortly after Abdullah's death, nine other martyrs within the surrounding area lost their lives as well, but they did not stop the spreading of the gospel. Satan loves to threaten physical violence. This is spiritual warfare, so how should I respond? Back in verse 18, it's the second all. Not only am I to pray at all times in the Spirit, but look at this secondly. I'm to pray with all prayer. Now, what does that mean? How do I run with all running? If you came to me, Scott, I want you to run. I'd say, no thanks. I'm done with that. How am I to run with all running? How am I to type with all typing? How am I to pray with all praying and supplication? Well, the Bible's calling on us in this warfare age that we live in, it's calling for us to diversify our prayer life. This is diversity training for prayers. Can I get a witness? Now, what does he mean here? Well, there's all kinds of praying. You may not, your prayer life, you may be a rookie. You may be in training camp. You may be in the minor league. Let me, let me get you from single A to double A this morning. Let me give you a promotion. There's private prayer and public prayer. There's walking prayer and kneeling prayer. There's sitting prayer and standing prayer. There's beginning prayer and advanced prayer. Over in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah mentions this one phrase. He says, take hold of God. It's a pregnant, picturesque phrase. Take hold of God. What does that mean? Well, in olden days, if I were to take hold of a leader and plead my case, take hold of his cloak, take hold of his coat for a moment, say, stop, I need to talk to you for just a moment. Imagine if your son, daughter, or loved one was behind jail illegally. You'd get a hold of the governor. You'd say, stop, I want to talk to you for just a moment. If I were to embrace you today and love, I would take hold of you. Here's Major League praying. Take hold of God. Grab his cloak and cause him to turn his head. Why? Because Satan loves to persecute believers. In fact, as we talk about this today, a pocket of former Hindus in an unnamed South Asian location, many of them were converting to Jesus Christ. Radical Hindus were pulling them, dragging them out of their villages, putting them at knife point and causing them to recant. Many did, many did not. One of our church members, right here, one of our church members got up, left this church over a decade ago. We will pray for them this week. They're in a nation that supposedly where it's legal to be a Christian. But in sharing the gospel in a village where the name of Jesus had not been heard in generations, a couple embraced the Lord Jesus out of a Buddhist background. And their hut was burned and torn to the ground, and they were told to get out of the village. And they did so willingly. That's what some people are doing, some of your brothers and sisters that you'll spend eternity with. They don't get the freedom of religion that you and I do. When you put a dollar in the plate, you're about to support this next pastor. He put a sign up. He put a sign up over his church. And as he did so, he was mobbed in recent months by 
of mob of violence in the nation of India. Satan loves to persecute believers. He loves to bring physical violence. And let me say it again, the tip of the spear for spiritual warfare is missions and evangelism. If you don't got any warfare going on, that's bad English, if you don't have any warfare going on, you want to get some going, start spreading the name of Jesus. Start talking about missions and evangelism. Start doing it, not just talking about it. Tertullian, shortly after the close of your New Testament, a pastor comes along by the name of Tertullian, and Tertullian says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. See what he's saying? When believers are persecuted, when their lives are being taken, that's when others begin to wake up and say, wow, there's something to this Christianity. They're standing. What we need in America today is holy boldness in the face of pressure. We need compassionate boldness. We need emotional, intelligent boldness, and we need to be praying for that. We need to have the prayer of verse 19 where Paul says, pray also for me. In this warfare, pray for me that my words, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel. He was chained. He was likely chained down to a Roman soldier as he's writing that. Does that change anything for you? Satan loves to intimidate believers. Satan wants you to shut your mouth. And here's what I'm calling on you to do. Live a life so that the leadership in hell know your name and know your mugshot. May hell's headquarters have your mugshot and your name and say, most wanted. We need to have a boldness, an emotionally intelligent boldness. Here's the third lie that Satan loves to do in our day. He hides people from our sight. He blinds us as believers. He causes us to screen out and ignore people. What do I mean by that? Well, look at this next graphic. There are 12,000 people groups around the globe today. Now pause. The CIA's website, the last time I checked, had more than 200 nations in the globe. 200 nations, 12,000 people groups. So you quickly get the math that a nation has numerous people groups. What is a people group? It's a group of people. It's a group of people that speak much the same language, if not the same language, and have the same ethnicity. 7,000 of those 12,000 are unreached. 3,000 of those 12,000, we don't know any Christian who's gone there to even engage them. One-fourth of the world's population have no engagement. There's not a believer that looks like them, that has their skin, that speaks their language, that has a passion for them. Satan is hiding the people groups from our eyes. If you're looking for the purpose of your life, if you want to have a life that means something, rise up out of this pew, get off your blessed assurance, and go to one of those 3,000 people groups and do something with your life. God is hiding the people from us. So what do we do with this? Let's go back to verse 18. It's a third all. We're to pray at all times. We're to pray with all prayer. We're to pray with all perseverance. This is warfare. He's hiding people groups from our eyes. And the Bible calls on us to stay alert in prayer. Jesus said on one occasion to always pray. He said, quote, always pray and not lose heart. On the day that Jesus was dying, the evening before, he looked at his disciples and I say to you and you say to me, 
Why are you sleeping? Rise, that you may not enter into temptation. You need to pray. We need to be alert. We need to be alert and perseverance and alert. We need to do so because there's a warfare happening. You don't know the name Ralph Winters, but Ralph Winters in 2005 was listed as Time's top 25 most influential Christians of that generation. Passed away circa 2010, but listen to Ralph Winters for just a second. A Californian who graduated with his bachelor's degree in engineering, he went on to get his PhD from Cornell University in structural linguistics. He would also get a seminary degree from Princeton Theological Seminary. And his seminal moment was 1974 because he was asked to speak to pastors and missionaries from all around the globe at Billy Graham's World Evangelism Conference. 1974, your pastor barely walking. He gets up and he speaks on that occasion. It wasn't a stirring message by those who were there. It was what you would think of as an engineer. It's what you think of as a man who has a PhD in structural linguistics. He made slide upon slide and graph upon graph and telling us at that time in 1974, there were more than 2.5 billion people who had yet to be reached by the gospel. Here's the way to think about it. The next time you have pancakes or waffles, which of the two is easier to pour syrup over? Pancakes or waffles? It's easy to be a brain surgeon to know this one. A pancake is a flat surface. It's easy to pour syrup over a pancake, but a waffle got all those pockets. So you have to be systematic with the maple syrup to get in every one. There are 12,000 pockets, people groups. We can't just send a missionary. We just can't put a, a believer in the state of Texas and think it's all covered. We've got to get the gospel in every one of those pockets. This is why we exist, and Satan is hiding that from our eyes. He's obscuring our vision. We think that life's about something else. So what do we do with this? We pray. There's two kinds of praying that I've noticed in my 20-plus years of pastoring. There's there's frontline praying and there's maintenance praying. Most of the prayers that I've heard from our church and all the churches, including my prayers, are maintenance praying. Maintenance praying is mechanical prayers. It's, you know, Lord, I lay me down to sleep, that whole thing. It's praying for the physical health of believers. Frontline praying is asking God to advance his kingdom. We need more frontline praying. We need to be vigilant. We need to be awake. We need to be asking God to come upon us and to awaken us with his zeal. You drive by a small town or a city in the state of Texas, and you say, look, they got a church there. Is the church awake? Is there some people inside that place zealous and enthusiastic for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is it a group of people who are just wanting to be there for business connections or what else? We need to be frontline praying and engaged in spiritual warfare. We cannot be overcome by fatigue at this moment. We cannot but remain vigilant at this time. We cannot fall asleep spiritually and we cannot become complacent. Time is a wasting, daylight is burning, and God has called us at this moment to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all the nations. You as a believer alongside me, the Bible says that we're gonna get before him one day 
in our lives. He's going to say, Maze, what did you do with your daylight? What did you do with your voice? What did you do with your life that I gave you? And I'm going to say to him, well, I watched some reruns of some great sitcoms. I don't want to tell him that that day. Here's the fourth lie. Not only does he hide people from our sight, but he hides our responsibility to share. He hides our responsibility to share. This is what Satan has done with the copy of God's Word. He does everything he can to stop the progress of this Bible I have in my hand. For more than a thousand years, he kept the book from the people. It took a gigantic effort to get the book in the hands of the people. And now that the book's in the hands of the people, here's what he's doing. He's taking this book and he's making you think of it like your high school yearbook. Do you remember what you did with your high school yearbook? You did the same thing I did. The moment I got the Hancock County High School yearbook, you know what I did with it? I looked for me, the most important person on the earth. And I, I spent time looking for me. I made sure that the index, you know how the index that had your name and all the places were in? I'd say, they missed me. They missed one. I'm still upset about that five years later after graduating high school. But look what he does. He makes me take the message of the gospel and makes me think that Jesus died for only me. Listen, you can be selfish with a lot of things. But friend, we can't be selfish with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just cannot be. We just cannot do this. If you don't share your food, if you don't share your cloak or your coat, if you don't share a ride with somebody, but don't you realize that when we don't share the gospel, what we're doing? Some of you may get upset this week in a car and tell somebody to go to hell while driving, and that's awful. But if you are selfish with the gospel, you're literally telling someone to go to hell. Literally doing it. We can't stand for this. So what do we do with it? Again, back in verse 18, not only are we to pray at all times, we're to pray, look at this lastly, we're to pray for all of God's people. There in verse 18, you see the last all? Pray for all saints. Jesus taught us this in John chapter 10. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Jesus Christ is at work today. The Spirit of God is at work today. He wants to bring more sheep to the fold in this zip code. He's got other sheep that need to come in the fold in Fort Worth, in Tarrant County, in North Texas. He's got other Persian sheep, Iranian sheep that need to come into the fold. He's got other Peruvian sheep that need to come in the fold. He's got other Indian sheep that need to come in the fold. And we need to be praying for all the saints. Prayer is an act of warfare. It's an act of rebellion. We're to be constantly and continually in prayer. And we cannot make the gospel selfish. So what would it take? Let me just get your attention for just a second. Let me just get you to calm down and think with me. What would it take? What would it take for the Holy Spirit? What would it take for Jesus to get you to take the Great Commission seriously? What does he have to do to make this personal? Some of you think the Great Commission applies to me because I get paid. What does it take? What does he have to do? Send snow on the 4th of July? Would that get you to think that the Great Commission's for you? To take your cat and turn it into a goldfish? Would that, 
be what it would do to get the Great Commission to be something that's powerful. God is working. God is at work in this world. He is a missionary sending God. He did it at Bethlehem. Oh, we'd have been a mess without Bethlehem, wouldn't we? He did it at Calvary. He sent his son to die for us. We'd have been a mess without Calvary, wouldn't we? And he's still, he's still moving and shaking and stirring. He's bringing us. Jerry Rankin is a leader among missions, retired now. He said he had been in Saudi Arabia, again, a place where it's illegal to be a Christian, a place where the Bible's banned, Christian radio's banned. And so he gets there, and unbeknownst to him, a good portion of the population of Saudi Arabia are international people. They're foreigners. They're there because the Saudi Arabian people can afford to pay them to work the oil fields for them. And while they're there, they're not allowed to worship out in the open like we are. You'll not see steeples and churches. They meet in house churches. That's what happens when the gospel is illegal. And so while he's there, a house leader approaches Jerry and tells him, he said, I had a scary moment recently. He said, when you're an international person, a foreigner in Saudi Arabia, the police monitor, they watch you. So this house church leader says, I get a knock on the door. And the officer's there, which is a scary moment. And he says, uh, the officer says, I've been working the third shift recently. Very few people were working. He said, I went back into the inventory room and where a policeman today in America might have an inventory of drugs or other illegal things in Saudi Arabia in that back room that he was taking inventory of was a stack of Bibles. And he said, I began to read that. He said, pique my interest. He said, I wonder why my nation makes it illegal. And then he looks at the house church leader and he says, could you tell me about this Jesus Christ I'm reading about? Jesus is at work today. He's at work. Will you join him? Will you be obedient? Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.